The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Live from the NASDAQ market site in the heart of New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. Here's what's on tap tonight. The drop that won't stop. WTI falling to its lowest level since June, now back under 70 bucks a barrel, while the yield on the 10-year keeps falling as well, down 90 basis points since its October peak. Should investors cheer or fear these moves? Plus, up in smoke, British American Tobacco taking a massive write-down, saying their traditional tobacco business has no long-term future. Is this lights out for the sector? We'll debate that. And later, from burned out to bouncing back, we'll break down a host of names with beautiful rebounds after sickening slides. A little trade it or fade it on these stocks coming up. Coach, you cough the hints here. I'm Melissa Lee coming to you live from Studio B at the NASDAQ on the desk tonight. Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, Dan Nathan, and Steve Grasso. We start off with a bold prediction from the CEO of semi-giant AMD. Lisa Su saying the market for so-called AI accelerator chips could hit $400 billion in just the next four years. That's double the estimate she gave just in August. The comments coming as AMD unveiled its hotly anticipated MI300 chip lineup. Shares of the company were up nearly 4% early, earlier in the day, but closed down over a percent. Christina Parsonevla spoke with the CEO in just the last hour on overtime. She's got all the headlines. Hey, Kate, Christina. Oh, hi, Melissa. The the selling off may just be sell the news kind of event, but AMD, like you mentioned, actually launched two versions of their AI chip, the X for cloud users, the A for supercomputers, as well as the next generation open source software, which they hope will be uh, a great compete with for NVIDIA. The market, like you mentioned, is growing much faster than anticipated, according to Lisa Su, and that's why AMD also doubled their total addressable market. You mentioned that to $400 billion by 2027. But with that demand, you'd expect a bump in 2024 sales estimates. But I asked Sue this, and she told me they have more than enough demand to hit that $2 billion sales target, but no updates to the actual estimates just yet. Listen in. This market is moving faster than anything that we've seen before. And we've accelerated our roadmap, too, because you know we're spending a lot of time with our um, largest customers. And they're saying, hey, MI300 is great. We love it. Yeah. Now, um, we're also talking about the next generation and the next next generation. The takeaway from Sue and from the analysts I spoke to at this event, many of them are behind me right now, is that this market is just so big right now, there's enough demand and enough room for more than one player. That means both NVIDIA, uh, AMD, and the hyperscalers like AWS or Meta, who are also building their own custom chips. Speaking of hyperscalers and cloud players, Microsoft, Meta, Oracle, all took to the stage as well to talk about their MI300X partnerships, which is a good sign, especially since several of those players buy NVIDIA chips. NVIDIA chips, I'd like to point out, they're great for training large language models. That means learning all the material. But AMD aims to dominate the next part of the equation, which is inferencing, aka shooting out the answers to people's questions in chat GP style format. And every company wants to be able to provide that. And that's going to be the major competitive advantage for firms in the coming years. So, Christina, it's not that NVIDIA necessarily will have the lock in the market. They'll have the lock in the market in terms of that particular portion of AI, but it is possible that a company will also order AMD chips. So it's not one, one or the other necessarily. 
Precisely. So AMD can provide the training part of the equation, and that's where NVIDIA has a stronghold. You can almost liken it to the PC market back in the day when you had just one player, and then the market grew, and then more and more players came in. So it's going to be the same situation for GPUs. NVIDIA has the stronghold. AMD's coming in with the second portion of that equation, which is learning how to provide answers to questions and queries, and that's because their memory capacity is a little bit higher than what NVIDIA is providing. And so, yes, right now, there is a market for both, but I'm a little skeptical in the, you know, three years from now when all of these players are providing their own chips, especially when the hyperscalers do it in-house. That's the threat to AMD and NVIDIA and would question the crazy growth rate that we've seen in both companies. What's the point of, of updating your total addressable market by such a degree, Christina, if you're not going to update your own guidance? I don't really understand what that gets investors to know that AMD's total addressable market is this much more versus August. But the update, there's no update here on our own forecasts. So I asked Lisa Su that not only on camera here, but also in a press room. And I, I am confused about that as well. A lot of uh, analysts were expecting it. That's probably would have helped the stock bump higher today. The fact that there was no commentary about that $2 billion threshold, even just saying, oh, yeah, we're going to be on the high end. She did tell me in a press a conference that, yeah, we have enough demand to hit it, but there's going to be no changes just yet. The only other interesting thing, too, is that they are trying to speed up their roadmap. I asked, does that mean 12 months like NVIDIA? And then she said, oh, it's coming. So a little vague on that point. All right, Christina, thanks. Christina Partsnevelis out at uh, AMD's event. Um, what did you make of that, Dan? I thought that was a little puzzling. Yeah, great question. Um, I would just also say that by the time that they doubled the TAM, right, like the investors already figured that out, like meaning like the stocks would have been trading much higher, but I think that's built into the stocks. And if you just look at AMD um, and the move that it's had over the last kind of month and a half ago in anticipation of this, there's been a story every day about these chips, mm -hmm. you know, coming out and how they're going to compete with NVIDIA and the like. And I'll just go back to a point. I think a lot of those TAMs are kind of built into the, the stocks right here in the valuations. We had a good conversation on Monday night about how NVIDIA has grown into that valuation as, you know, consensus was slow coming up, right? So if you're looking at the trailing, it looked expensive and the like, I think they'll be slow to cut if there's any meaningful competitive advantage or there's a drop off in demand in 2024. And then those stocks in this one too, in AMD, they'll start to look um, expensive again. So again, I think the TAM is kind of built into the stories right now. And now it really comes down to demand. The last thing I'll just say about AMD, if you look at consensus estimates for gross margins, they're expected to go up meaningfully over the next few years, right? As they get to a doubling of their revenue, I think from like two years ago or something like that. So all of this stuff is really important to them. If it doesn't play out, if they start getting bad performance reviews, if some of the competition heats up from even their customers, right, are making better progress than they are on their own platforms for these sorts of chips. I mean, AMD does seem a bit vulnerable right now because it's not really reacting on any of this news. I think we're so early in this process that there's the sky is the upside for all these names. But NVIDIA had 85 percent of the market. Now you're starting to hear about AMD potentially taking some of that market share. So I think it's a sell NVIDIA by the rest of the group. If what, that, what is the rest of the group? AMD, AMD would be the number one. To, Christina said that AMD is probably the best positioned outside of NVIDIA. But if it's going to be a data center play and you're going to need DRAM and NAND, the first thing you think about is Micron. Micron has been under the radar, headwinds from China, but I think that's not going to transpire as far as cutting into 25% of their profits. Micron would be my bet. 
I'm just not sure what we really learned today. I mean, we already kind of knew yeah. from Lisa Sue that these, these chips were out. We knew that it was going to be a $2 billion, you know, assessed dynamic. We know it's about t 8 to 10 percent of, of, of revenue total. Um, we know where they are relative to NVIDIA. Um, we know that AMD is up over 80 percent since ChatGPT came out last year. It's, it's, it's priced a lot of this stuff in. Um, I think we're all addressing the competitive landscape, which we, we realize is going to change dramatically, and even, into, even Intel. Uh, and again, Intel's been the best semiconductor stock to own over the last six months. It has been. Um, if you look at semis overall, again, you know, I go back to the group and I think, you know, the group started to give some ground. I'm not saying it's ready to really cave, but it's given up 5% relative to the S&P over the last 15 days of a market that's really had a major move. So, I, you know, I don't want to call this a non-event, but it's, 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 it's not, not anything else. It's not <laughs> an exciting event. Right. Makes for good TV, right? <laughs> yeah. I think, um, you know, to the question about, okay, if the TAM is so much bigger, why not change your, in, unless you're building as fast as you can? And that's the, that is the, the limiting factor, right. not how much the TAM is. But how do you, how do you view okay. that? I mean, if you, can't, if you can't increase your revenues anyway. I think they will TAM, be able to increase their revenues. Eventually. Right. Um, but, you know, she, I think of her as somewhat playing it conservative, although she's pretty pumped up on this, I got to say. Should about just... This is like, you know, of her kind of lifetime, this is the biggest kind of change that we've seen. To get to uh, um, Christina's analogy of, Early on in the PC business, right, there were a, a leader and then more and more competitors. But that pie grew and grew and grew for a really long time. Now, maybe things happen quicker now, but I think that this, this pullback in NVIDIA, and, and well, AMD is hardly really a big pullback, but um, to me, I feel like they're just kind of at the moment sort of trading vehicles, okay. and they will get pumped up again as we get closer to earnings, which right now we're in the sort of, you know, limbo between earnings and that, you know, I normally don't like to trade around, but I think these are these are vehicles made for that. If you look at sorry, but if you look at the technicals on NVIDIA going back to June I, and to Karen's point about trading vehicles, if you go back to June, it gives it runs up 50 to 100 points, then gives back 50 to 100 points. It's been leveling out. But if you go back to June, it looks like it's setting up. It's already started that decline. But it looks like it's setting up for another 50 points to the downside. But you have to believe that the Nasdaq 100 is going to go higher. I mean, trading vehicles, to the extent that they're not necessarily trading on their own fundamentals at this point, if we see a yes. continued rotation into sort of the more value areas. As yes, that's seen, a good, that is a very good point, right? They've, I think there's a part of the valuation here that is tied up in the Magnificent Seven. And that whole space is sort of, you know, at the moment behind and the market's just broadening out, which I think is a good thing. Well, which is really the story of today's market. And I don't know when we're having our markets conversation, but this is not <laughs> that moment. This is, not, um, this is what we do behind the scenes, folks. Is this our market conversation? Well, I mean, banks really outperformed today. And if you yeah. think about it, and we had this chat last night about where banks can have this window of opportunity, even if you think the consumer falls under some pressure next year. So the broadening of the market, we've all been waiting for. You can't really say it's broadened. I mean, if anything, small caps have outperformed from that move, uh, the CPI bottom, if we're calling it that, even though the market bottom was back on on October 26th, I think, of this cycle, you've seen small caps outperform the S&P by over 6%. You've seen the, the equal-weighted S&P outperform by about 35 It's hard to say it's been, like, full-scale ahead.
Yeah, well, let's have our market conversation. Okay. <laughs> it was overall a muted day for the major averages, but we did notice two key market barometers making sharp moves lower. WTI crude falling below 70 bucks a barrel, notching its lowest settle since late June. The commodity on pace for a seventh straight week of losses, its longest losing streak since 2018. Meantime, the 10-year yield also continuing to retreat, hitting a low of 4.109% today. That's its lowest level since September 1st. So is it all downhill for rates and crude? Or is there something else ahead for these trades? Let's ask the chart master, Carter Worth of Worth Charting. Carter, what do you see? Well, what we know is we have the equal and opposite circumstance of just, what, six, seven weeks ago. You had crude at 95 and streaking to 105, 110, according to consensus. It's done the exact opposite. You had 10-year yields at 5% plus, and it was higher for longer. We're going to six, and it's done the exact opposite. But let's look at some charts and try to figure out the way forward from here. So... This is price, right? This is the actual 10-year Treasury bond futures, which you can trade in the CBOT. And we have rallied to a well-defined downtrend line, in effect, for the past two years. Uh, My hunch is that this rally uh, sort of pauses here, which is to say, if we look at the reciprocal chart, we look at the yield chart, yield, we've come down to a very well-defined trend line. And the thinking here is, again, having moved six weeks It's a long time. It's a fairly mature intermediate move from five plus to here, almost 4%. Uh, I would be uh, sort of reducing my TLT longs or some of my uh, bets in the uh, Treasury market. In terms of the trend line, though, is that intact or at what point do you say it is broken and we're in a downtrend? Right. So it all depends on your on your timing. Meaning on a short term intermediate basis, we've come down to a level where you would expect some sort of counter trend, some bounce. Do we break that trend line? Uh, Again, we remain, and you will know this, of course, in the camp that rates will continue lower, oil will continue lower, dollar will continue lower, and the one holdout, equities, will ultimately succumb. Yeah, you brought um, some charts on oil as well. Can we go through them? Sure. One is a short term, and I think it it, it says a lot about a a lot of things. Um, At the end of Q2, June 30, 69 a barrel. At the end of September 30, 95 a barrel. Here we are back at 69. What happened? A lot of change in OPEC? a lot of change in rates, uh, GDP reports. Uh, guess what? Sometimes it's just price action. What we've done is we've round-tripped. And remember, down there at June low, the expectations were much lower. At the highs of September, the expectations were 110. What's critical here is this trend line. My hunch is we do breach it. All right, which would mean a breach of what here? Uh, I think we're going to the low 60s. Okay. Carter, thank you. Carter Braxton Worth of Worth Charting, low 60s. And rates are down. I mean, this is great for the consumer, right, Dan? Yeah, well, listen, I mean, we're going to get a look at November payrolls, right, and and the jobs report. And and I guess the point here is that is this reflective of the tenure coming down the way it has as crude in in the face of what really, and we've talked about it a lot on the desk over the last, you know, four or five months, it's round trip that whole move, just some of the supply demand dynamics. It really seems that those two indicators are suggesting that things are about to slow down. And going back to what Carter just had to say, I mean, the the one thing that really stands out is the S&P 500 very near these, you know, 52-week highs or so, a VIX at 13. Um, you know, I'll just point you to the Shanghai Composite because I really feel like some of the stuff that's going on in, in the kind of non-bank lending uh, around there, some of the, the, you know, as it relates to demand and the consumer and, and the like there, I really think that's going to be exported over here and basically abroad in 2024. So I wonder if the Shanghai Composite, you know, down, you know, the way it is, very near 52-week lows, the FXI is down 30% from its January highs of this year. I just wonder if that's a 2024 story in an environment where we are very complacent. A lot of folks 
got really locked into the fact that, yes, we nailed this soft landing, or at least the Fed did. We avoided a recession in 2023, which a year ago at this time was nearly a certainty. If you looked at almost every risk asset, that's what it was pricing. That was the consensus. So I just kind of feel like 2024 is going to be a lot harder in the stock market. Um, You know, just look at a lot of these other risk assets we talked about. These were not great trading environments if you were trading yields, if you're trading commodities, if you're trading, you know, FX and the like here. So to me, I just think that that's probably a 2024 story. Soft landing consensus seems scary at this point, Tim. Mm -hmm. And that's what everybody thinks. We've we're going into a soft landing. The worst is behind us. We priced in all the rate hikes. It's always concerning. And, and recession first quarter of 23 or late 20, late first quarter into second quarter was seemingly also consensus and it was very wrong. And, and uh, you know, the, 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 the labor market that, you know, Dan's referring to, so ADP numbers, by the way, no correlation. In fact, uh, reverse correlation to what's going to happen on Friday. Doesn't mean, though, that the ADP relative to itself, again, these are private payrolls that came out today. The three-month average is under 100,000. The six-month average is almost 200,000. So we are seeing weakening. I think we're going to continue to see that in the payroll number. We saw the jolt data yesterday's job openings. We see what's going on. The labor market is is slowing and it's actually slowing really fast based upon the week we've had. It doesn't necessarily mean it's going to continue to accelerate at this pace lower. But if it does, it kind of gets you to a lot of places that I think a lot of people said uh, back to those parts of the market that are very interest rate sensitive. I mean, look at what happened to airlines. I mean, they are interest rate sensitive. Look what's been going on with utilities. Look what's been going on with all these parts of, of I, I think, the, the market that also were big, big underperformers during the part of the year when rates were going higher. And even when the rest of the market was going higher, I think you have more of that. And I think you can watch that. Right. And by extension, and REITs also. Yep. NATO has had a big move. Regional banks have had big moves. Mm-hmm. It's interesting to me, though, that normally, or not normally, in this last year, we've seen as rates come down, the Magnificent Seven trade really, really well. And that's actually not happening anymore. As rates go up, the Magnificent right. Seven trade really well. <laughs> but they seem to trade. They're all weather Magnificent Seven. But I think this broadening is really a good thing. I think that there's um, that dichotomy between small cap, big cap, that valuation gap was just so large and it's narrowed a little, but I still think there's, there's a lot to go. I don't know whether we're going to have a recession or not. I think that there's still value out there for someone who has to be long. I, I'm always optimistic to find something, even if it ends up going down, that's okay. But I do think that w- we need to start looking beyond the Magnificent Seven, which I am long. Right. So do you but- trim your position, Mag7, and go elsewhere? No, I don't think so. I think there's just such an outsized passive investing and people are buying the triple Qs. Hence, they're buying the Magnificent Seven. I think rates are going to go lower, uh, continuously go lower. I think oil is going lower. I think dollars going lower. And I still think that's a tailwind for the equities. Uh, coming up, rising on the reorg, the headlines out of Citigroup CFO that's on shares soaring today. We'll write down whether the gains will be long-lived. Plus, up in smoke, shares of British American tobacco sinking after taking a massive charge. Is the industry being snuffed out? Don't go anywhere. Fast money's back in two. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? 
Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of City tapping the tape today after the company said its billion-dollar restructuring could wrap up in Q1. CFO Mark Mason giving the updates at the Goldman Sachs U.S. Financial Services Conference. The overhaul first announced in September is City's biggest reorg in decades. Mason did also warn that revenue could be on the low end of guidance this quarter and that it plans share buybacks of half a billion dollars in Q4. Tim, this was your final trade just yesterday. Well, and it was not based upon an expectation that a reorg's a, a big catalyst for the stock. A cost savings in bank land is, is what their world's about. I mean, th- there's no question that fintech and banking is really about removing a lot of back office and middle office jobs and, and changing the cost structure of banks and making them leaner and meaner. Um, the, the dynamic around Citi as a stock is just relative to itself on valuation, what you do with banks in a world where um, I think you've seen stabilization on net interest income um, and actually some of those margins even actually coming back. You've seen improvement in their capital markets business, certainly in their sales and trading businesses. And, and you've seen stickiness in terms of their, their core commercial banking. So um, I like it on valuation. I like the fact that banks, uh, despite all the things that might happen and the focus on them in Washington, is, is that they are giving back capital to investors. And for the first time, and if you look at where Citibank, I think it is a 58 or a $60 stock pre-COVID, the whole story for the banking sector was you were starting to see this capital distribution dynamic of banks begin again. Then then COVID hit, then you got back there, and then it's been kind of a mess, and obviously SVB. Yeah. Uh, you, though, did not like the close. Yeah. I mean, listen, you know, 5% gap, I mean, on its open, it was trading really well. And to close like that, I mean, the stock, I think at its highs today, was, you know, 28, 29% off of its 52-week lows just made, uh, you know, just a few weeks ago, if you think about it. So, um, <clears throat> you know, not a buyer. I mean, like, you know, I, I think they're like utilities now. I think we spent a lot of time. Like, are we going to talk about the XLU the way we talk about these going forward? I just think that the regulatory environment next year is going to change a whole heck of a lot. And you think about just all the stuff that we heard out of this conference when people, these bank CEOs or CFOs are talking about fintech and the lack of regulation there or what, what went on or didn't go on as far as regulatory, as far as uh, regional banking crisis that we had earlier this year and some of the things that are going to change going forward. I just think they're not going to be that interesting of investments going Will forward. Will regulations be tighter no matter what kind yeah. of administration? comes in? Oh, yeah. I don't know. I don't know if I agree with that. But I, I do think they're facing tighter regulations. We saw them really push back today. Yeah. I think maybe they'll get a little bit of success in the pushback. But, I mean, Citibank, which I have a very small position in, more just to keep me focused on it than anything else, it's amazing to me that it has been restructuring since 2000, 
maybe earlier than 2007. So here we are, 16 years. 2007, that's like when they got rid of their, when they got into or out of Mexico. Banamex. Banamex, <laughs> right, right. Uh, um, so, I, I mean, I guess, you know, it's a tough job. I think she's doing as good a job as one can do. The valuation's always astounding to me. At 80-something book per share, at, you know, 50-something times book, tangible book value, that's just too appealing for me to own none. City is up 6% year-to-date. It's been in a declining trend line, give or take, since 2021. I think it's still Karen's favorite name, J.P. Morgan, still outperforms everybody. Chart is definitely different. But I agree with Dan. I don't think there's tremendous upside to owning banks. There's a lot more Fast Money to come. Here's what's coming up next. A real drag. One tobacco stock sinking after a massive write-off. The details on the eye-popping charge the company is taking. Plus, Walmart weighing in on the state of the consumer. Thoughts from the head of the retail giant as we head into the holiday shopping spree. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? The real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of British American Tobacco getting burned today, down yeah. 9%, touching its lowest level since 2010. The cigarette maker taking a $31.5 billion charge from writing down the value of its U.S. cigarette brands, which include Newport and Camel. The company saying its traditional market has no long-term future. It's quite a statement. Uh, the rest of the cigarette makers out there, uh, tobacco companies, also taking a leg lower today. Grasso, oh. you flagged this. It's... Uh, that's painful. This is everyone's moving away from smoking and they're, they're, everyone's trying to move into smoke less, literally and figuratively. And, and you, they, they can't get there fast enough. And all the charts look very similar. My grandfather, long since passed, used to smoke camel, no filters. Wow. Those those days are gone. I don't think there's people smoking cigarettes. And just by this thirty one and a half billion dollar write down means the writing is not only on the wall, it's here to stay. And these companies have to reinvent themselves. I don't know if they can. I mean, the number of cigarettes sold in the United States is down four to five percent annually. And recently it's been double that because people are cutting. They're going to other things like vaping, but they're also feeling the pinch just in general from the economy. Is a GLP-1 thing, is that possible that smoking would also, I know it's early, too early for that now, but I'm not sure if that's that's addictive. That can be, you know, if you can attribute the doubling of the decline in the number of cigarettes sold to GLPs, although maybe on the margin, maybe on the margin, sure. Well, we we heard from Altria six weeks ago, and they they had a terrible number where they talked about, again, they they talked about sales being down, but the most 
important thing for, has been pricing power in those uh, geographies where they're actually still, you know, and it's an emerging market story, unfortunately. It's, it's a demographic story. And you see this in, in really in lower economic and socio dynamics. And these are the places where they have pricing power and where there's not as much taxation. But someone like Altria, and I'm long Altria, and I actually think this is a great div play in this market. I don't own anything for the div. But Altria is, in fact, a company that has been growing their free cash flows. They've been growing their payout levels. They're a company that's invested in other businesses. Um, they own they own in, in the spirits industry. They own other things. And that, that to me, is what, uh, look, British tobacco is what they are. Altria has diversified. It's but still primarily tobacco. Why U.S., why focus on the U.S. market when there's a ban on menthol cigarettes, when you can go Philip Morris and do international tobacco. Right. Well, and, and I think you can see there's real uh, divergence between the performance of these stocks. And BTI has been a joke. BTI has been a joke for years. And I think it's part of the story. Well, so it's a giant write down, but it's really kind of an academic exercise in that the stock was only down something way less than that because it's been, I mean, the writing has been on the wall for a long time. I don't know what made them trigger this. I guess else they get a good tax deduction a big charge. I don't know, but it seems like this, this was sort of happening anyway. Coming up, we are homing in on the consumer as Walmart's CEO gives us a look into how that big box retailer is faring and what they're seeing from shoppers ahead of the holidays. We got the details next and your favorite game on Fast Money. Oh, we love that. You what? know what it is. Should you trade it or fade it? The bounces from some beaten down names, how the traders are choosing when Fast Money returns. Missed a moment of fast? Catch us anytime on the go. Follow the Fast Money Podcast. We're back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. The Dow and S&P 500 sliding for a third straight day. The Nasdaq leading the losses down more than a half a percent. All three indices on pace to break five-week winning streaks. And a number of names hovering around all-time highs. T-Mobile, Chipotle, and some home builders, DR Horton, Lennar, and Pulte Group, all trading near records. Meantime, with less than 20, fewer than 20 shopping days left until Christmas, Walmart CEO is giving us some insight into just how strong the consumer is looking this season. Sarah Eisen sat down exclusively with Doug McMillan to get his thoughts. She joins us here on set. Sarah. Hello. Nice to see everyone. So Walmart, like all retailers, is in the middle of the key holiday sales season and, like many others, is warning about a softening consumer. I sat down with Doug McMillan, the CEO of the country's largest retailer, to talk about his strategy right now and where the consumer is headed. He says customers are really price sensitive right now, but that overall he's been pleasantly surprised at how strong the consumer's been this year and at this time it may change. Listen. I don't know what next year is going to look like as credit balances go up. The, the balance sheet of the consumer is not as in good a shape as it was six or 12 months ago or a year ago. Um, but it, we still may find that, you know, we're back to growth rates that look like 2018, 2019 in terms of total retail. We just think our opportunity is, is greater than that and we can grow faster than whatever the retail market grows. 2018, 2019. So I followed up and said, do you expect a recession? McMillan said no. He is also seeing inflation come down, which is helpful for consumers, we know, but not for groceries, not for groceries and not for sales for of the retailers. Stuff? It's helpful in that consumers have more spending in right. their wallets and that it should drive volumes if you do see lower prices. But ultimately, it does cut into sales, right? They're not seeing the kind of margins that, that they 
saw in the last year or so because of those high prices. But I would just think if the, if the groceries are less and they can buy the same groceries for less, they have more dollars to, to spend in something, right, in yeah. something higher margin. So on groceries, absolutely, price increases are moderating. On general merchandise, which we know has been a weak spot, he says we're actually seeing deflation. And Walmart got a lot of attention when they reported earnings and started using the D word. Listen to what he says about that environment. There's a chance that we'll find ourselves in a deflationary environment in total as we have the months ahead um, happen. How do you drive growth in that kind of environment? Sell more units, grow more market share. But it's good for customers. They get lower prices. So clearly Walmart is no stranger to these kind of environments, and they help drive that themselves with their super low prices. He says already we're seeing deflation in some categories of general merchandise, down 5 to 6% in pricing growth from last year. But it's helpful because we were looking at some of the store displays and now they can put back up toys for under $25, for instance, which is something they weren't able to do last year. And then one more final point that I took away from the conversation on the macro front, especially because it's jobs week. We get the jobs report on Friday. He said the hiring environment is normalizing as well. Remember, they're the largest private employer in the country, 1.6 million associates, easier to find workers. Wages, he said, will continue to go up. But not at the rates we've seen in recent years. So again, another message there, I think, for the Fed and investors. I would think that, especially for the holiday season, that the decline in interest rates and decline in oil prices that we've seen really helped the consumer. Has he come? It's a much different environment on those two fronts compared to during the latest quarter that they reported. Absolutely. And they noted some softness in October weeks and then some improvement in November. So obviously the, the gas prices help. At the same time, there's so many other cross currents that we talked about. For instance, there was the, the SNAP program of, of food benefits. A lot of that expired in recent months. All that extra assistance that we got during COVID. The resumption of student loan payments, which is also hitting this fall. Another pressure on the consumer. The excess savings from COVID with all the stimulus is starting to run out. So all of those cross currents coming off of a base, though, where McMillan and others have said things are looking a lot better right now than we thought. What, what about on margins? Because yep. Walmart spent a lot of money, really reinvested in automation in their labor and other revenue streams that are high margin streams. And I think that's a pretty exciting part of the story for me as an investor in terms of the multiple of the company. I'm so glad you brought it up because we talked what I do here, a lot. <laughs> you bring up the salient points. So profits are growing faster than sales. Right. And that is a big point that we talked about is the automation and Look, I saw it, you know, what, what they're doing and how they're transforming some of these stores into warehouses and fulfillment centers. The biggest problem they have right now is not enough space to meet the demand. So they are building out capacity in order to fulfill those online orders. And then in the warehouses, the automation, we also talked about generative AI, which he said we're sort of in the, in the early stages, the first year of experimenting, which is going to make the employees more productive, especially in the back end. Not to mention the fact that they're also growing their services business, like advertising. Mm -hmm. It's a tiny right. slice of the overall business, but seeing double-digit growth margin. there as well. Yeah, and Walmart Plus, too. So you've known him for a little while, I guess. He's not overly dramatic or no. sort of effusive, but what do you think about his sort of how he's feeling in general about his business? I think that he's feeling very good about his business. I think that while the consumer is softening, and I, they're noting that, as, as are others, you heard him confidently say, we can grow at a rate above other retail. 
right now. And I think they have some tools like what they've done on automation, like what they're building out in terms of e-commerce and how customers are coming in store, they're shopping Walmart online, Plus. they're doing the pickup. And he said it's all one customer. And he said they're taking share. I said, are you taking share from Amazon? Or are you taking share from yourself and in store? And he said, we're, we're taking share all around. So you just mentioned that nascent uh, advertising business, and we know that's been a monster for Amazon. I think it's like 30 billion plus a year right now, high margin stuff. And when you think about it, did you get to this ROM commerce? Did you did the yeah, add to bit. heart? And, and yes. it's pretty fascinating when you think what Amazon did with their Black Friday uh, NFL football game and all the um, in-game placement of, of the drops and everything like that. This rom Did you commerce. do that? Did you put the, did you No, get the but I mean, like, I know it's interesting. And I'm not on YouTube or Roku or, or TikTok <laughs> watching this ad to heart, but I think it's a really interesting idea. I think this is like scratching the surface of what we're going to see from these bricks and mortars retails as they're trying to compete better with an Amazon. So I'm just curious, did you guys touch on we that? Did, we bit? did talk a little bit about that, and it's fun. So just, if you're not familiar with this, what Walmart is doing is they, they and, and help me out here, they're, they're basically creating content that they're putting out on social media like YouTube and TikTok that has built in live shopping and deals that you can click on while you're watching this. I don't know how successful it is, but I think it combines this idea of social commerce mm -hmm. and entertainment. And it's pretty creative. Yeah. We'll, we'll see if, if that works. Rom Commerce. It's also a clever name. Yeah. Very, a play on Rom Com. Rom Com. See what we did there? Thank you, Jim. Well, I'm just saying, I know something well, about love. Stuff, it, 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 the, I don't the, know. The, the program is about love, so it's yeah. appropriate. Oh. Yeah. Love. Love. And shopping. Yeah, it's beautiful. Uh, Sarah, it's beautiful good to see you. Thank you, you too. Thank you. Sarah Eisen. Quick question here, Grasso. Mm. Walmart or Target? Oh, Walmart. And you, you know, I'm going to go for the next one, though. I, I'd rather not either of those. I could change. Why not answer the question? No, I, yeah. I did. I, I did say I, asked, I said Walmart. Yeah. I answered the question. I said Fine. Walmart. But proceed. But I would go Costco. If you look at the chart, much smoother chart in Costco. Uh -huh. Those membership fees are annuities. It's up 33 percent year to date. Walmart up nine. Drop Coming up, <laughs> we're playing America's favorite game, Trade It or Fade It. Will this beaten down name bounce back? That trade and more when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. From beaten up to bouncing back, lots of stocks that investors had fallen uh, by the wayside, making comebacks in the big way over the past month. But can the rebounds continue? What better way to find out than a round of America's favorite game? Trade It or Fade It! That's right. Trade it or fade it. Let's jump right in here. S.A. Lauder down a whopping 46 percent in 2023. But the stock is getting a makeover in the past month, gaining 18 percent in that time. So, Tim, trade it or fade it. Yeah, I'm going to trade it. I mean, I get a makeover every night before I come on air here. So uh, I just think, you know, the rebound we've seen in this stock, they, they, look, they've, they've made some announcements. They've made some cuts. They've guided uh, in terms of especially what's going on in Asia and different parts of their global business. But um, Look, cosmetics and beauty have been one of the bright spots of this earnings season. doesn't mean they remain so forever. So much bad news priced in here. Valuation now interesting. A great global luxury brand. Uh, I, think you, I think you buy. You don't have to buy it tomorrow, but you trade this thing. Karen, what do you say? Yeah, I say fade it. <laughs> I don't like that more than half, like to, closer to two-thirds or 70% of their business is outside of the U.S., whether that's mostly uh, China, Asia, um, and Europe, which is a difficult place to be. The valuation is still very, very high. We know there's some upheaval in, potentially, in the CEO office. So f 
and it's the stock's still really expensive. So I would fade it and I would buy Ulta, which is half the price. And the third largest supplier is Estee Lauder. So why not buy those same sales for half? She's really dissing me. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, she's. Yeah. I mean, not only yeah. would I fade it, yeah. but right. I, I'll see your face. I'll punch your, him in the face right. while I go buy Ulta. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get to block now. <laughs> the fintech stock still well off its late 2021 peak of more than 280 a share, but recovering over the last few weeks, now up nearly 40 percent in the past month. So, Dan, you trade or fade this one? Yeah, I'm fading this. And it's not that, listen, this stock is up 75 percent from its 52-week lows just made in late October. And it trades at a reasonable multiple if you think that they're going to get to gap profitability next year for the first time here. So a lot of secular shifts in play, I think, was highlighted by some of just the holiday trends and the like here. I just don't, wouldn't be chasing this sort of thing. And I'll probably do what Karen just did. I'd probably much rather do PayPal right here because it feels just a little less Look extended at that face. here. Now, this is getting <laughs> out of control. You're in charge so here, and this is. What's happening here Square. is destroying this game. Leaning I mean, towards PayPal. I'm a purist, yeah. and this is a different game now. It's, it's, it is value-add, though. Yeah. It is value-add, <laughs> and I'm looking out for the viewers all the time. Um, Steve, what would you say about this one? Well, I would be a trader of this one, so I'd be a buyer of this one. And if I – would you rather this over PayPal? I would, I would rather this one. PayPal has not performed. If you think about PayPal, PayPal lost its growth when it was looking at buying Pinterest. If you look at the chart from when PayPal was interested in buying Pinterest, the thing is off a cliff. This one, you have point of sale and cash app, still unlimited upside. I shouldn't say that. It's got about 20% upside right now. For some reason, when Grasso... Oh, of course. Well, you expect it. I'm glad you admitted it, it really on air. It me, but everybody else is always okay. <laughs> all right, let's get to healthcare. Moderna, more than uh, cut in half this year, but getting a boost of nearly 12% in the past month. Tim, what do you say? Look, I'm not wild about this story. We know what they did during COVID and what they haven't done since, and that's the story of the stock. There's a ton, a ton of cash on the balance sheet here, and I think a company that is is worth owning. Obviously, you've seen a bounce back. We've seen total stabilization in, 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 I think, even the downward trend in terms of the COVID vaccine revenues. Dan? Yeah, I'd be fading this. I, Tim mentioned the cash. There's a lot of cash, a lot of expected losses over the next couple of years. So they got to hit on a couple of things for this thing to work. And I think that's what investors are kind of keying on with the stock down here. You're not going to say, so I'll buy but this rather, instead? No. <laughs> Well, Pfizer looks kind of interesting. We, <laughs> Tim, Tim and Karen's oh, Pfizer yeah. looks kind of interesting. Why don't we come up basis. with a new name for that game, Mel? Yeah. Oh, you get on it. Right. <laughs> Time for one he more just... here. Fornado Realty dropping oh. earlier this year, along with the broader REIT space, but clawing back gains now at 30% on the year. So, Karen, you've been watching this one. Yes. Fade it or fade it? Well, I'm going to fade it. That would be my. It's had a really nice rebound, as it should. However, still very big structural problems here, and they do have refinancings coming up. But the bottom line is, I actually think rates are going higher, mm. and that would make this stock go lower. All right. Coming up, crypto crumble. J.P. Morgan CEO Jamie Dimon had some harsh words for the space, and it's weighing on some big players. We'll bring you the way to trade this move with options next. And Jim is chatting exclusively with Amazon CEO Andy Jassy. You can catch the interview at top of the hour on Mad Money. More Fast Money in two. I've always been deeply opposed to crypto, Bitcoin, et cetera. You pointed out the only true use case for it is criminals, drug traffickers, anti-money laundering, tax avoidance. If I was the government, I'd close it down. 
That was J.P. Morgan CEO Jamie Dimon testifying before the Senate Banking Committee earlier today. The bank exec answering questions from Senator Elizabeth Warren about the safety of Bitcoin. Shares of crypto players, coin and microstrategy both down almost 2 to 4 percent today after those comments. Crypto has seen the resurgence recently on hopes a Bitcoin spot ETF could come as soon as January. Um, but uh, nope, our next guest doesn't think this run will last. Our guest is Mike Coe. Mike, what do you see here? What do you think? Yeah, look, I mean, Coinbase has had a huge run here. And if you go back to 2021, we've seen that uh, revenues are off about 60 percent since then. But net of the big rally we've seen in the stock this year, it's actually only 40 percent lower. And I could easily see it retracing some of those gains, not just on Jamie Dimon's comments. And perhaps we could see D.C. making a move. But the fact is, you know, I, I think it's probably just a little bit overbought here. Right now, the options are implying that this thing could move 24 bucks higher or lower over the course of the next 30 days. So if you're thinking about taking a bet on the short side, how might one do that? I was just taking a look out to February, the 110.90 put spread. That would cost about $4.60 or so when I was looking at it earlier today. Uh, basically, you'd be risking a little less than 3.5% of the current stock price to make a bearish bet that's going to expire in more than 70 days from now. And you could, of course, use this as a partial hedge if you happen to have had the good fortune to buy the stock before it had this huge run. How are you thinking about coin these days? Yeah, I don't think too differently. Tim and I had a conversation recently about if a lot of the excitement is about a spot ETF. I have to think that that works into some of the volumes that like Coinbase has benefited from. Yeah. And I know one of the big pillars of the bear case yeah, is also the form. spreads and, and the fees that are, people are playing. So I just don't see how any of it is good for Coinbase after they're announced and released. Well, I, I've had a good part of this run. I, I don't think it's good for them at all. I think, they, and again, their surveillance business and these other things that'll make them kind of the, the, the Bitcoin insider. That's not really what, what I think works. What I think works is that this is where people are going to get broader digital you know, exposure. There's no yeah. question that most people that are in this space want more than Bitcoin and Ethereum. All right. Uh, Mike, thanks for that. Mike Co. up next, Final Trades. Do not miss CNBC's Cities of Success Nashville premiering tonight, 6 p.m. Eastern Time. No, that's 10 p.m. Eastern time. On CNBC, time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Tim. Nash Vegas, they call it. Delta Airlines. I think airlines' greatest trading stocks in the market have more room to run after a 30% move. Karen. Yes, even with the number of housing transactions down, Zillow's had a great run, but too high, I think, selling some upside calls against it. Dan. Yeah, Walmart. Um, great interview by Sarah. I, I'd be a seller of that. That technically just broke, and that caution doesn't sound too great for me. Steve. Shake Shack. Ray J had a no doubt on it. I'm positive on the stock. I think the international expansion is the real hidden gem of this one. And the Shack Tracks, the drive-throughs. Shake Shack. Thanks for watching Fast. The Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. All opinions expressed by the Fast Money participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Fast Money participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Fast Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Fast Money Disclaimer. From their innovative practice facility 
to unmatch views from the fairway. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. 